Thanks for listening to Raceru Radio. Before we get into today's podcast, I just want to take a moment to remind you about Raceru Fitness, our fitness side of things. We've got personal training, we've got custom built plans, we've got pre built plans. So, what are your goals? You tell me right now. You want to build some strength? You want to put on some muscle? Maybe you just want to cut some body fat. Or maybe you're looking to do an obstacle course race for the first time or the hundredth time and you're just looking for a plan that's going to make you a little bit more efficient. We've got a lot of plans for a lot of people because we know everyone is a little different. They have individual goals and we feel it's best to meet you where you're at. So if you're ready to start your fitness journey or continue your fitness journey, we uh, would like to hear from you. So find us on Facebook, Instagram, or racerroofitness.com. Send us a message, give us a call, and we'll be ready to uh, get the plan built to get you in the direction you want to go. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and I hope you enjoy. Connected. I thought we were going to have a, a vacation flop, not be able to record. I was starting to wonder if for some reason yeah. it wouldn't bring up the part where it would say, "Let uh, you know, have me join in. So, hi, everyone. Here I am. Yeah. So this is our week one of two of uh, recording from live from Myrtle Beach. At least one of us will be. Um, I'm here this week, leaving Sunday. And Jordan, you're coming down next Saturday? Yeah, next Saturday. Right, actually, we'll probably be able to get a a podcast in before then but uh well we'll be doing another one while you're down here um now i'm down in almost southern end of myrtle beach or mostly like main myrtle beach you'll be up a little bit north you'll be up in uh, cherry grove right um yeah we're actually going to be at like the very north of myrtle beach this year so like pretty much where the inlet is to uh, South Carolina and North Carolina, we're going to be probably uh, like five minutes away from that. So we're going pretty pretty far north in Myrtle Beach this year. Cool deal. Well, uh, for, for those of you who, uh, who frequent Myrtle Beach, I can tell you this right now. Um, the, the pirate adventure that is branded all over the place down here, uh, compared, comparing to the medieval times, medieval times is good. It's it's fun. I enjoyed it. The food is good. The show was good. The atmosphere was good. Smells a little bit like you would expect with a bunch of horses in there. But uh, Pirate's Voyage uh, definitely is superior um, from the show perspective, from the food perspective, and the cost perspective. Uh, just if you're on the fence about either one of them, go Pirate's Voyage. It's just, it's just a better show. Yeah, I think... Uh... I know we were talking about going down and, and doing that before and we never did. So I don't, I don't know, maybe we'll get a chance to do it uh, this year, but I know we're, uh, we're definitely going to do the uh, top golf that's down by uh, Broadway. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So uh, is it just you and Miranda or are you bringing? Nope. There's going to be, it's going to be me, my wife, my mother-in-law, our niece and, um, family friends are coming down too. Oh, that's awesome! Bringing a whole whole group. So I w- we w- I wanted to try to go up to uh, Crab Catchers up there, but that, it's just a it's a it's a big hike to get up to where you are from where I am. To be honest with you, yeah, it's it's about half an hour or so, maybe it's a little like bit 45, more. Forty five minutes, especially if, oh, yeah. if there's traffic. Yeah, 
So right, you got to so- kind of, and, and when you go to crab catchers, you got to hit it at the right time and hope nobody else is there. Well, that's just about anywhere else. Um, did a little, uh, Jordan, I did a little surf fishing down here. Uh, not, not enough, just like really kind of like an hour in the morning, one morning, but I'm in love. Um, I think that's my new thing. Uh, just, I, I need to get a sand spike and I want to get some live bait instead of using gulp next time. And I'm just going to, uh, throw my rod out, stick it, and then just sit there. And actually, if I, uh, get myself a skimboard, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick it and I'm going to skimboard until I catch something and then I'll reel it in and I'll throw it back out. That is, that is where it's at. Yeah, I was actually, um, Davey actually just sent me a link from, I don't know, you know what uh, an ugly stick is, right? Yeah. Yeah, he sent me a link from Walmart where you can actually get like the deep sea, uh, I guess ugly stick made a deep sea rod um, with a deep sea reel. It's only 78 bucks. Um, So I'm thinking about buying that and going to the inlet and sending a couple uh, lines out that way and seeing what happens. Oh yeah. That'd be nice. So, um, well, that's uh, enough, uh, ranting about our little Myrtle beach ventures here. I hope everyone is, uh, getting some time to go whatever vacation that you'd like to, to do. Um, it's shark week. So, you know, you think that that would scare me out of the water, but it absolutely hasn't. Um, I can't really, hey, actually- even- <laughs> I can't get into the water, but uh, I can't uh, get in over my uh, knees because of, of my <laughs> knee. But, you know, I was going to say it probably actually pushed you more into the water, but yeah, I guess your knee is uh, holding you back there. Well, fun fact, um, I kind of was doing some research on Myrtle Beach, just to, it, like kind of came across a page of like what sharks to find in Myrtle Beach. And there was ones I knew about, like you, you can find tigers down here and sand tigers and uh, I think the occasional lemon shark and some nurse sharks and um, occasional bull sharks. They actually list on their website that you can see great whites here. Um, but they're, they're more uh, during the winter time. And so that's probably why there's not a lot of contact with great whites known in Myrtle Beach is because when they're here, people usually aren't. So, yeah, um, I, would, but I thought I that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I would say they're pretty, they're probably you know, up near Maine and stuff right now, Cape Cod area. Yeah. In cooler waters. Yeah. You, so you just gave, you just gave Miranda a panic attack. She heard great white. She didn't care about the other ones, but you said great white and she like had a panic attack. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on how far you go into the water anyway. I mean, yeah. really the one that scares me the most down here are the saltwater crocodiles. <laughs> I, I would say, well, I mean, I would like to see one of them because, you know, uh, Steve Irwin has trained me for that my entire life. (laughs) I mean, I've seen crocodiles and snakes on the beach this year, and I'm like, I've been trained for this since I was five. (laughs) Well, I've seen you. I've seen you when there was a snake in the water in in a river, and I've seen how you acted with that. So uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. (laughs) I did did go after it. I had one when I was in my kayak uh, two years ago, I think, coming at me, and I was like, "Oh, well, get out of the way! Get out of the way!" <laughs> I was, I was not getting in. I mean, it it went right past where I was and went up onto a log that I was fishing at. So it wasn't. As, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't messing around. As the words of the famous Steve Irwin would say, "You have to show the snake that it means you know you mean it no harm." 
Well, I did. I got out of its way. <laughs> you just got to let it run through your hands. <laughs> All right. So we better, we probably should uh, get started on our, uh, on our podcast here. So, um, anyway, for, since I didn't get an intro in there, this is race through radio. I'm Robert Ryan and that's Jordan. Um, so this week on our little fit tip, um, I, I know last week I said last week was like a reflection on um, some of my code yellows, I think is what we decided that they were. Um, so, and by the way, if you hear some stuff in the background, I apologize. Like the hotel we're at, there's like a rave going on downstairs every night. Um, so apologize if you hear some, <laughs> that's all that is. Um, but uh, this week I wanted to reflect on uh this phase that I was just in this week, part of a program that I've been building. Um, the program I'm building is kind of more of a athletic, not quite CrossFit-ish, but like it, more designed for, for athletes or t- to train like an athlete, not necessarily athletes, but to train more like an athlete, train in different motions other than just, you know, you're squatting up and down and it, it adds in different dimensions, adds in, unique movements it adds in uh unilateral meaning single arm single leg movements um so this part that i'm in right now is actually really fun whereas one the first month of it would be a normal strength block but uh week two or month two rather is multi-planar unilateral stuff and i know that that might go over some of your head basically what it means is we'll take a movement like a squat, for instance, which is just called the sagittal plane. It's basically just you're moving through one plane. You're up and down. That's it. So now we're adding a frontal plane movement, which with a take a med ball. And as you squat down, you kind of take the ball down to, for instance, your left pocket, we'll say. And as you stand up, you take it up and up towards your right shoulder. So you like kind of cross chop it up. Um. And then you like you do that side, and then you can do the other side. Um, if you really want, you can add in another element of instability by doing this on a, uh, a Bosu ball. Um, but that's that's kind of the idea with this phase is you take movements, a lot of movements that you would normally do, and you make them unstable. You focus on one side at a time. Um, you add in a different direction of movement uh to just because in in sports a lot of the movement you do is not just forward and back up and down left and right it's multiple directions it's at one time you think about a lineman driving off of the line you know they're not just driving up they're driving diagonally and they're pushing into their opponent the guy across the line from them, but it's not just right in front of them. It's slightly to the left, slightly to the right. You're driving up, you're kind of squatting down. And so that's what this phase is really meant to do is to to kind of hit different angles, different motions, different um, planes, because even in sports, that's what you see. But even in your day to day, um, think about just walking through a door. Like a think about a heavy door. Every we've always had, everyone's had this. You're walking through a door and it's heavier than you anticipate. Well, when you go to push it, it's not just like a chest press where you're pushing evenly with both hands. You're pushing, you know, one hand is is moving more than the other. 
Um, it's not equal pressure between the hands just because of the dynamic of it. And so this is what this phase is really addressing is, is trying to make both sides uh, face equal pressure on their own where you can't compensate on, for example, a bench press with a bar where you can push with your right more than your left on a, with a bar, with a bar or a dumbbell, you can't do that. And so that's kind of what this phase is all about. Um, and it's been really, really fun. I have not picked up a barbell all month during this phase. Um, along with that. So there, like I said, there is some body weight movements in this. There's some, um, kettlebell there's some dumbbell um but a lot of the movements in this uh there's a lot of explosive movement with a control movement um and we've talked about this before in our tempo this is a, a performance tempo it's a three and one so i'll give you an example one of the movements i've been doing is a bench press with a dumbbell single dumbbell so you don't have one in each hand. You just, if you'll start on your weaker side. So for me, that's my left. And you just have the dumbbell in your left hand. So you don't use a dumbbell in your right hand to kind of counterbalance it. You have to squeeze your abs extra hard to stay right on that bench. And you push up with your left hand at a one count, just up. That's one. And then as you come down, it's three, two, one. And so you actually have to start lighter than you think because you're controlling this dumbbell for a, a decent amount of time on the way down. Um, and especially when you're starting with your weaker side, the idea is to start with your weaker side so that you can go evenly on the stronger side, not do more reps just because you can. <laughs> and so when you focus on that weaker side, especially it's really going to, I've noticed in just the four weeks that I've been doing it, um, my left side is more stable, which is going to help when I go back to do a regular bench press on a bar and I can push better with that side that I was more compensating with on the right. So um, I thought this phase was a lot of fun. Um, the movements are different. Um, there's one in there that's like a granny pass with a medicine ball. And it's you, I haven't seen people do this a whole lot, but uh, to me it's extremely functional because it kind of mimics – just picking something up. Um, even like for me right now with having a one-year-old, like just bending down and picking up my child, it kind of mimics that uh, real life um, event right there. So uh, this phase to me has been, it's been a lot of fun. It's been very unique. It's been very different. And to be honest with you, that change has kind of given me a good break from what is typically done in the gym. Um, so, uh, Jordan, does that sound like something that's, uh, that you'd be interested in? Actually, yeah, because a lot of times, um, like, I've always felt like my left arm is probably a little bit longer than my right, which um, kind of sounds a little odd. But when you get into it, like, when I'd be bench pressing, it feels like my right arm puts more pressure on the bar than my left. And there would be times that I'd be doing curls or – you know, anything with dumbbells and I would use five more pounds on the left than I would the right. Um, because I felt like my left arm wasn't getting the same workout. My right is now, obviously I'm left-handed. So 
it, it's a little bit different for me, I guess, feeling that my right arm is getting more of a workout than my left. Um, but I used to do five more pounds on, on the left just because I felt like the extensions I'd be doing, if I'd be doing like a dumbbell press or, you know, just as simple as what you were talking about. Um, I just feel like my left arm wasn't getting as much work as my right. So mm-hmm. you, you bringing that up actually makes it a, a really good like idea for me to be able to pretty much do what you were just talking about. You know what I mean? Build strength on the weaker side and make it even on the, on the strong side. Yep. And a lot, I mean, just talking about with like curls, um, there's a movement one of the days in this phase, um, I'm actually doing a TRX curl and we've talked about the TRX on here a lot of times. I'll put it into single hand mode. And so where the TRX is anchored, I'll face to the side and I will do a curl to my temple basically. And so I, you know, snappy curl to the temple on a one count and then release for three. And to do 12 to 15 of those is extremely difficult because it's, you know, it's out of your normal direction. Your, your hands out to the side and you're still using that bicep to curl it in, but now it's at a different angle. So it's, the recruitment pattern's a little different. It's kind of, especially for the, you know, average gym goer, they're not going to have done that move a lot. So it's extremely novel. And uh, the body can really adapt to that movement because it's something you've never seen before. And, uh, you know, this, in this case, when you, when you do see that in real life, you see it in sports, you see it in your day to day at work, probably by accident, um, it's not necessarily a move that might make you stronger in that movement, but what it might do is prevent you from getting injured because you do have some strength at that angle. So yeah, that's what I like about this is it is, is it's, it's functional, it's injury prevention and it's balance all kind of in one phase. You're not going to be putting on a ton of muscle during this phase, but um, it does address a lot of things at one time. Yeah, it's addressing the muscles that you don't normally use on a regular basis that you don't realize that you need to work, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, in, in way in ways that you, you know, haven't experienced before. Right. Bicep goes up and down, but, you know, you going left, right, or at an angle, like yeah. you were saying. Yeah. How, how does just, everybody do curls in the gym? They stand in front of the mirror and either, they use either the preacher bar or the easy curl bar, or they use dumbbells and they just curl up, curl down. Well, now we're changing the angle over here. We're introducing a new stimulus. Um, we're putting you through a motion that you, you just probably haven't had experience with and, and may not have the strength you need to prevent yourself from getting hurt. So, um, again, that's why I really like it. Yeah, it- it sounds like it's a, a really good workout. I have to look into that more uh, when we're off air. I have to talk to you about it more. Um, yeah, for sure. Give it out a shot. Well, eventually I need to get you on some of these plans because you can be my one of my uh, testimonials. Yes, um, <laughs> I 100% agree. I've uh, actually been really thinking about investing in the, um, what, the TRX is what it's called? TRX, yeah. Yeah, um, I was thinking about uh, getting one of those, um, so that way I can do at home workouts. Um, the the crazy part is, is 
um, you know, with working and stuff, I don't know if you've ever picked up 40 large sheets at one time, um, but uh, they tend to have some weight there. And I think it's doing some things for me because I just picked up Bales the other day and she's an 80 pound dog and I picked her up like it was nothing. So, well, that's, I mean, just for, that for not only is that, you know, pretty decent amount of weight, but it's super awkward, I bet. Oh yeah, like that's, it's not, that's definitely not just awkward. Like, and that that's what you know we're talking about here with with loading differently. You know, with the barbell, if you're if you're lifting forty pounds with a barbell, you can kind of stagger that weight over both hands pretty pretty well. Like it kind of creates a good stable base. But now if like you know you're taking a dumbbell or a kettlebell where you know, th- there's nothing to, to kind of create that like tabletop kind of balance. It's just one point for each of those, especially right. like the, the the dumbbell, you know, the weight is still centered between the hand. The, ke- the kettlebell is even more unstable because now the weight's outside of, you know, your, your support. Um, but now you're talking about 40 sheets and that like the weight is extremely displaced. It's <laughs> there's not a really good way to, to just kind of like evenly, you know, support that. So that makes it even, even more difficult, you know? So that's, that's, you know, this is one of those things we talk about, like, you know, you're not necessarily doing resistance training, but this is your job and it's something that you're doing regularly. So, it, yeah. you know, that's, that's still a, it's not resistance training, but it is, you know, it's a great way to, to kind of do something without really trying. Right. And it, and it, I mean, it goes along with like how the large sheets are awkward. Like we have to pick up bags of gowns. that have 25 gowns in each one. And, you know, it doesn't sound too heavy, but sometimes you get the, the bigger gowns that have more weight to them and you don't really think about it at the time, but when you reach in and, and pull that bag up, you know, it might be under like halfway under another bag and you start grabbing it to pull it the amount of, of force that you're putting on, you know, your muscles at the time in an awkward yeah. position to pull the bag out. Um, it ends up being, you know, a good bit of weight you're, you're putting on your, your muscles in an awkward position. So, I mean, it's very easily, you could get injured. Um, we've actually had people before like tear labrums in their shoulders mm-hmm. um, from picking stuff up in an awkward position. So um you know, you don't really think about it, but it's an everyday movement you do. And, you know, the stronger you make it, the better off you'll be. Yeah. And, and actually this phase that I've been talking about, this is actually perfect for, for someone who lifts like this, where, where it's super awkward and unstable, you know, unstable movements, you know, that's unstable loading platforms. That's uh, kind of the perfect plan for you, you know, almost n- you know, not, not as a novel stimulus, but as a more regular thing, you know, to, to really bolster that kind of, uh, lifting platform. Right. So, but I wanted to share that with y'all. Um, this, this one that I've built so far, kind of month one, like I said, is, is more of like a, a standard strength block. Month two is this multiplanar unilateral, uh, kind of goofy odd object movements, um, month three is power where you're taking a heavy load. Let's basically, we'll use our bench press analogy. You're going to do like a heavy, heavy bench press, like three to six reps. 
and then immediately go over and do a movement that's similar like a push-up and you're going to do it explosively for you know eight to 15 depending on you know how it's not going to be very highly loaded it's going to be relatively light but the idea is to you know really explode your movements very very quickly so that's kind of month three and then month four is more of like kind of like circuit based you can take all the things that you've built so far and kind of put them into use so that's a that's a program i've been working on it's it's very close to being uh completely built so that would be my third third program that i have completely built so just so that everybody know that means we got programs available you know get a hold of us so that way we can set you up yeah um, programs personal training uh even if it's just consultation you know just hey i don't know what i'm doing you know what what do you th- here's the situation i'm in what advice do you have um i can i can give you some history of my experiences with nutrition um i'm not a nutrition liaison so i wouldn't contact me for nutrition but i can give you tips on what i've seen from myself and from my wife who's had a journey of her own i can give you that but you know fitness if it's in the gym if it's you know outside on the run or something like that you want some tips you want a workout plan uh we got plenty of options so just hit us up and uh and we'll we'll get you pointed in the right direction yep that's what we're here for all right and speaking of what we're here for i think it's time for dirty talk with jordan all right guys we're here for a little bit of a little bit of dirty talk there's a little bit of dirt in the air um not too much but um the world of outlaws were still at williams grove last weekend um and i told you about the friday night race where lance deweese won there was also tempers flaring which i didn't get a chance to talk about um a driver known as the name of danny dietrich um wrecked a little freddie raymer um apparently there was a couple moves made on the track that dietrich didn't like put the bumper to him spun him out little freddie ended up flipping and a fight ensued on pit road um Danny Dietrich was still in his car. Freddie grabbed his helmet. And from there it was on. It was kind of like, you know, like the NASCAR thing. Teams get involved. People start pushing each other. Um, but nothing ended up happening out of it. They both were in the feature. They both ran pretty decent. Um, but like I said, Lance DeWeese won that night. So Saturday night, um, the Outlaws bested the posse. Brad Sweet ended up picking up the win. But uh, he got very lucky because Danny Dietrich, was coming very fast. He just ran out of laps. Um, they were all together, and they uh, Sweet made a pass for the lead, and Dietrich made a pass for second, and they ran one lap to the checkered flag, and Dietrich was coming. He just didn't have enough time to get there. One more lap, I think he passes Brad Sweet, but uh, Sweet ended up walking away with the win on that one on the Saturday night show. Um, and then the local scene went out, and they ended up running Sunday at Baps Motor Speedway, the Kevin Gombrecht Memorial, um, and Danny Dietrich just lit up the field. Um, I think he at one point had like an eight or nine second lead, and he lapped up to fifth from what I'm understanding. Um, so he was on a mission that night, but uh, picked up the win there. Um, as for the rest of the week, everybody's been off. Um, no all-stars, no outlaws during the, the middle of the week, no local racing. 
Um, the All-Stars were supposed to run last night. They got canceled due to rain. Um, I haven't seen about tonight. The Outlaws were supposed to be in Weedsport um, in New York. As far as I know, that was still going on, but I didn't see any updates about that. Uh, the All-Stars are at I-70 for the uh, Rundine or Rudine uh, foundation race. They were, as far as I know, also still one, but haven't seen updates from either one. So I can't tell you what's going on there. And the local scene would have been at Williams Grove, but I'm pretty sure they got rained out because we got hit pretty good up here today. So um, other than that, the Elijah Hawkins Memorial race is coming up September 3rd. Make sure you get your butts there. We're starting August next week. And that means we're pretty much a month away. So make sure you get there. Um, make sure you mark it on your calendars and prepare for this. It's going to be a pretty emotional race. So um, we're looking forward to having Jake on here within the next couple of weeks to give you guys information about the race and stuff he has planned for it. So that'll be a, a really good show. I know he's looking forward to it. I just talked to him this week, actually. Um, so he's excited to come on here and talk. Um, we're excited to have him, but I can't wait to hear about the plans he has for the race coming up. So um, be ready for our next couple shows because they're going to be good. But that's all I have for Dirty Talk with Jordan. Awesome. So uh, Pocono, huh? Yeah. That, this, yeah. This week, Pocono. Well, yeah, yeah, what? I had you. I had you until those last couple cautions. Hey, clothes only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so to, Pocono is, is typically known, at least uh, around the people I talk to. Uh, people tend to, to knock on Pocono, say how boring it is and everything. I've always loved Pocono. I think it's very unique. You know, we talked about this last week. Um, it gives it, it a different feel. Um than the typical cookie cutter track. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen three races that were quite that exciting, you know, right in a row, uh, same weekend at Pocono. That was, that was a crazy, crazy weekend. The truck race was phenomenal. The finish was phenomenal. The, I mean, the last, like, was it like 16, 20 laps? of the Xfinity yeah. race was a battle between uh, Ty Gibbs and um, Noah Gragson. Uh, it, I, and then, of course, the cup race was was crazy, and then it got even crazier at the end. I wanted to start with uh, that wreck from Jeb Burton. How about that? Did you see that? Man, this is like, what, two or three weeks in a row this guy's taking a huge lick. Yeah. I mean, that, and I, I, I know they were talking about it because they extended the pit road wall um, yeah. because of, like, Casey Kane and other cars sliding into pit road. And they showed the replay of that where, you know, like the pit guy's helmets went flying yep. um, when he hit the pit wall. So they extended this wall, and it did its job. But, man, at the expense of, of Jeb. Whew, yeah, that poor that guy, I mean, he just, just ran out of room. but. Yeah, before Casey Kane's wreck, and it, I think they said it was Jeb in the truck race that same weekend. Before that weekend, you you would have never been able to convince me that somebody would have been able to come off turn three and spin off of turn three all the way down into the pit lane. I would have never, ever believed that. 
And then we had it happen twice in the same weekend. Obviously, Casey Kane, um, it, we're just lucky that there's no tires on the wall at the time because, you know, helmets, while still a projectile, are fairly light. So, um, great idea that they expanded that pit wall. Still, I was kind of like, man, that's that was a super unique thing. And then all weekend, guys were just looping it off turn three. And, you know, this was, this was obviously the result. Um, Jeb just the last second, you know, just was just a little too late and deciding to go down pit road and really just ran out of room that, you know, the, the hole just closed up super quick and man, it just, it's, you take for granted how powerful these wrecks are until you see a car get pinched and absolutely catapulted up onto its roof. Uh, just w- one of the craziest wrecks I've ever seen at Pocono, you know, you, you see some other ones and you kind of know, that they're going to hurt as you're watching them. Um, but that one was just absolutely just incredible. But I, I think the thing that needed to be said was the, the AMR safety team um, after Chris Busher's wreck at Charlotte, um, this one, they got right there and got him flipped over. I thought extremely quick. So uh, I thought that they learned from the first one, how to improve and they did a fantastic job getting Jeb flipped over. Right. In a in a much shorter time. Yeah, I mean, we got to say, even though we we don't really suspect Pocono for these big hits, I mean, not necessarily NASCAR um, with the hits, but I mean, look at Robert Wickens from a couple years ago with the Indy car that went up into mm-hmm. the fence. I mean, like Pocono, you kind of underestimate for the speed and yeah, like. You know, when you go to super speedways for stock cars, we all understand that when they spin around, the goal is to keep them on the ground. But we know sometimes it doesn't happen that way. Um, and then they go to a, a track like Pocono and a car end up on the lid. Uh, like we've said before on here that we get kind of numb that these cars are so safe that they have been safe. We haven't had, you know, much of an issue. I mean, we had the Newman wreck um, the other year, but we they've been very, very safe. Um, mm-hmm. knock on wood um, but you get kind of numb to that and then you see a wreck like this that you're not really expecting and it kind of brings you back to earth pretty fast yeah um, absolutely. I'm just I'm just glad these cars have been as safe as they were but um, yeah it's wild we like you said we never would suspect a car coming off of turn three and being able to spin all the way down into the pit pit road area and I mean, all weekend we had the cup guys spinning off a of three. Yeah. And like if you would have told me, if you would have told me too that somebody would have gotten turned, what well, they would have wrecked on the front straightaway, you know, a quarter of the way down that straightaway and then flipped, I would have never believed that either. That's it, it's just th- these cars just do things that you don't imagine that they will do. Yeah, it's it's the freak accident that you don't prepare for is the one that happens. Just yep. like that. I mean, we would have never thought he would have been catapulted up in the air like that, and sure enough, it happened. Yeah. Well, before we move on to the cup stuff, because we, we got to talk about, obviously, with, with the cup guy spinning off of turn three, um, I wanted to just to say something real quick about uh, the finish of that Xfinity race. Um, Noah Gragson and Ty Gibbs put on a hell of a show. And uh, I, I know I've trashed Ty Gibbs on here quite a bit, but the last few weeks between 
how he reacted at Road America, how he's carried himself the last few weeks, really. Um, and, you know, he had every opportunity to absolutely ship Noah Gregson for 10 laps if he really wanted to. And he didn't, and he got out of his car, and he said all the right things. Um, he said all the right things Sunday, obviously, when he filled in. I'm getting really impressed with how Ty Gibbs has kind of matured very, very quickly. Um, I really, I really appreciate the way he's kind of turned a corner. He's racing guys like he he's beating guys by racing them, not having to knock them out of the way anymore. So I just wanted to to give credit where credit's due and say, I I think the dude's on, on the right path. He's going to be, He's going to be just fine, and I think he's going to be carrying himself very well here as we go down the road. Yeah, he's definitely going to be solid. I think maybe uh, Gibbs had a talking to him, and maybe or someone you know, a veteran had a talking to him, sat him down the, the hauler one night and said, "Look, you know, this is what's got to happen. You know, we don't want you to lose your aggressive nature, but you know, look, this is how you got to race, and this yeah. is where it's going to come from." Because it was like a switch turned on, and, and he, he picked it up. He understood it. Um, and those two battling for those last 20 laps, you couldn't take your eyes off of it. It was just impressive to watch. Um, they went side by side into the tunnel turn, and we were like, oh, here it goes. They're going to wreck. But yep. they came out both straight on the other side. And, I mean, I think he's earned every chance he's going to give from here on out. Um, obviously, he's going to be, you know, in the cup car again, you know, uh, Sunday – this week but um i think he's earned it i mean he kind of proven he's kind of proven these last couple races he can mature quick and you know he can run very very decent doing so so um speaking of of ty and continuing to fill in um uh so the big news of the weekend started off with kurt bush is going to be out for it was out for Pocono. He will be out again this weekend. Um, you know, he did take a heck of a lick off turn three, but uh, you know, this is not really something we've seen too much of a, is drivers having to get out of the car from being hurt. I know there was some talk about, Oh, this is, you know, maybe this is a blemish on the next gen car, but y- you know, man, he just, he did take a wallop off turn three and this is, he's taken several hits this year. So maybe not all that surprising considering Kurt's getting he, – he's not getting old, but he is one of the older drivers. He's at the end of his career. So – um, but I think this is the right thing to do. You know, a- any driver – we've seen it with uh, several drivers, namely Dale Earnhardt Jr. Like, these guys struggle with, with these things, with getting their brains rattled. And uh, when there's any question, they need to get out of the car. Yeah, it's just it, it comes down to the fact that unless you've had a concussion or been in this protocol, you don't understand what they're going through. Um, concussion-like symptoms can be as simple as a headache to you're dizzy, you're nauseous, um, and you're just not remembering things clearly. But on the outside, you look perfectly fine. And I think the alarming thing about this wreck was it didn't look bad. Um, I mean, much like I don't want to compare it to this, but Dale Earnhardt in 2001, it didn't look terrible. We've seen him go through way worse wrecks than that. Um, and Bush off a of three, 
spinning out like that and backing it into the wall, it didn't look terrible. And then we find out that he's a little bit rattled and, you know, he went, he took it upon himself because as far as I understand, he, I think he passed, uh, you know, he was cleared at the care center and he went back later. And I mean, I don't know if we were going to touch on IndyCar, but look at Joseph Newgarden. He had a wreck and he was, you know, cleared and released. And then he ends up passing out in the motor coach spot. And it comes down to the fact that your adrenaline's rushing at the beginning. This happens a lot of time in sprint car racing where the driver will get out and walk away and they seem perfectly fine. And then 15, 20 minutes later, they're going to the hospital because they're having severe back pain or neck pain or something like that. Yep. And it, it's just something that gets, you know, overlooked. So I think what we need to do with NASCAR is maybe, you know, after they clear them, I think they need to be reevaluated you know, maybe an hour to two hours later um, just to make sure everything's clear because when it comes to, you know, these concussions, it's no joke. Um, And like you said, Kurt Busch is at the end of his career, but I give him kudos for going back and retesting to make sure he was okay Um, because he's no good to himself or anybody out on the track if he's not. So I think it's something that we need to look into. But, uh, you know, hearing the driver say that this car, the lighter you hit, the harder it is on you. I don't know. I think we have to figure some way out for them to not feel that that as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm not too concerned about it just yet because of given the situation of Kurt's taken a lot of heavy hits. He took a heavy hit just the other week at Atlanta and, um, I guess there was already talk of him potentially not being able to compete at Pocono, and then he went out and, and wrecked in qualifying. And so that just kind of put the nail in the coffin there. Um, but because of, of who it is at the age he is um, and how many hits he's taken this year, like it's concerning, but it's not concerning until I think that there needs to be a pattern emerged. Um I do recognize that some of the guys are saying the hits are feeling a little harder. Um, and I wonder if that, I think with this car, it almost seems like the corner speeds are up. So that might make some sense, but it's just, it's something we got to keep an eye on as we can, as we progress. Cause actually the numbers I've seen some of the numbers and the numbers are saying differently. The, the numbers are saying that the G force ratings are actually less. Now, as far as how much the drivers are feeling that, that that's just, subjective and, and we can't really comment too much on that if if that's what they feel that's what they feel but at least right. the 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 numbers we can measure look like they're less right and so. that's what they i mean that's what they pay these engineers for um i think it's you know too too soon in the season right now to figure it out but i think an yeah. off-season you know workout for nascar to see if they can maybe lessen the blow on these drivers if, you know, the amount of Gs that the driver is feeling is more, like, it, it compared to last year, the car is hitting the same amount of Gs, but is the driver feeling more of the Gs than he did last year? That I think that's more of the, yeah. the question they're going to have to try and figure out in the offseason, and I'm sure they will. Um, that's what they pay these engineers for. But, you know, like you said, Kurt has taken – a lot of big licks this year. So, you know, not surprising to see him, you know, take a step back and make sure everything's okay with his health. But 
you know. Yeah, <laughs> I lost what I yeah. was going to say, but no, nah, it's all good. Um, so yeah, the, I think the the question becomes now is what becomes of Kurt if he's going to be out for an extended period of time. Now there's five more races left to go before we get to the chase. Kurt has a win. And I think the only way he can get knocked out, even with a win, is to fall below 30th in points. I'm not too concerned because I looked at this up today. I think he's he's about 200 points above, I think, Ty Dillon's in 30th. And it, it's it's about 200 points. But 30th place it has scored 294 points on the year. Um, I'm not too... I'm not too concerned about them scoring 200 points in the next five races if all they've scored is not even 300 year to date. So I think well, Kurt's safe. Well, there is another way. And, you know, with him not running, uh, he's not getting points for himself. And the thing that it could possibly be is – you know, we could get two new winners and have 16 winners, or we could get three, true. even though we don't think it's going to happen. But if we get 17 winners and, you know, he's not getting these points, if Harvick and, and Truex go in there and get a win, or, you know, these other guys below him in points get a win and it knocks him down, I think it would be more the guys who are who would be above him in regular season points without the wins. But if they get some wins and knock them down, you know, Christopher Bell, he's on the bubble. I think Briscoe's on the bubble. These guys are going to probably go for max points to try and get as far up as they can. And if you have two, three random winners come in here, Kirk could be on the outside looking in as the 17th winner um, just for missing these couple races. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Um, maybe NASCAR gives him, gives him an exemption in the two races, but – I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, I mean, Ryan Newman was given an exemption, and he missed like three or four before COVID snapped in. Um, obviously, he didn't get a win and was not able to get in. But you know, basically, the exemption – the rule needs to be changed. In my opinion, the rule needs to be changed. Um, just the way it, it's written needs to be changed because people are getting very critical. Well, you gave this guy an exemption. You gave this guy an exemption. This guy, this guy, this guy – Kyle Busch got an exemption in 2015 and he missed a quarter of the year. Right. Which, but if, if you think about it, it's like these guys are, they're giving these guys exemptions because they are medically Injured. unable. Yeah. What you're, what you're trying to avoid is you're trying to avoid uh case in point. Ross Chastain came in in 2019 was running a, he was committed to the Xfinity series, but he was running part-time for Nice goes out there and wins a race. Well, that's to avoid a guy like that running part-time in the truck series, goes out and gets a win, and like, oh, now I'm going to compete in here for points. Well, no, you weren't committed to this series. Right. You know, and so, and so that's what it's really about. If you miss a race because of COVID, if you miss a race because you have concussion symptoms, because you're hurt, you broke a bone, like that is an, a legitimate exemption. It's no different than any other sport. If – any quarterback gets injured and misses three or four games. Look at Peyton Manning the year, the last year he played. He missed a ton of games. N number one, because he was too hurt to be playing at, at that time anyway, but also because he was playing like crap. But he missed a ton of games and then just came in the last, you know, during the playoffs basically and won. And 
so no one was really questioning, well, did he deserve to play that? Like, because he missed all these games. Like, no, that's not how this is. Kyle Busch is one of the best drivers that we have. Yes, he, he missed a bunch of races because he was hurt, but he also came out and won to get himself into the playoffs. Like we all knew he would. So, and then he went on to win the championship because he's one of the best drivers that we have. Like it, it it's, that should not come into question. Now, if Kyle is kind of, well, I'm only going to run a part time schedule or, you know, I'm going to commit myself to the Xfinity series. And if I win a race and cup, we don't want that. That's what we're trying to avoid. So that's what that rule needs to be changed to. They need to word it better. So I, I have no doubt that Kurt will be given the exemption for this. Uh, the question is, you know, with Dale Jr., when he had his last concussion in 2016, you know, it was kind of like, well, he's going to miss this race. Well, now he's going to miss this weekend as well. Well, now he's going to miss the next two weekends. Well, now he's going to come back at the end of the month. Then he didn't come back. So it was like, yeah. it just kept dragging on. Well, what happens with Kurt if this drags on into the playoffs? You know, if, if, if he, he can't go for the first race of the playoffs, does NASCAR say, well, this exemption doesn't fit because you're literally, you're legitimately not here. Um, right. They give it as owner's points, but not driver's points. Like, how do you handle this situation now? I'm very interested to see how they're going to, they're going to handle this one. Cause uh, <coughs> if you're Kevin Harvick right now, you might be like, Hey man, you need to, you need to kind of get healed up. You know, you don't need to be coming back too soon because someone could sneak in just because Kurt can't go, you know, and that that's, I'm not saying that that's the best thing, but if that happens, you know, that, that, that might be our reality. Right. And, and like you said, I mean, it could be as simple as, uh, you know, he's, he comes back and he's running, um, and he runs fine. And then, you know, two days later he has a headache. Yeah. Um, that puts him back in concussion protocol. Yep. Um, because it counts as, you know, when you get headaches, it counts as concussion symptoms. So that could put him right back into yep. the holding pattern. And the yep. question is, like you said, how long is this going to drag on? Yeah. And then what happens if, if Kurt, you know, what is the Casey Kane situation where it drags on and then Kurt says at the end of the year says, okay, I'm done. <clears throat> looks like a, a spot might have just opened up for Ty Gibbs to move in. So I, I'm, sure I'm talking worst case scenarios here, but you know, th th this is, this could be the trajectory. If if Ty does well while he's filling in, this could be where this is going. I don't think that's where he's going. Well, I mean, it depends on how uh, things go with Truex and and Kyle, obviously. But you know, I feel like that if the, if things work out with those two, I, I don't think that twenty three eleven would be a bad place for. Ty to do his rookie season to, to kind of get in the flow before he moves over to the big team. I don't, I don't foresee that. Um, if he comes into the cup series, he's going in the 18. The, the body language of Kyle Bush to me this weekend said a lot. And I mean, if you want to get into that, we can get into that now, but the body language he showed this weekend said a lot. Well, tell me we what you, tell me what to. you saw. Well, I didn't see the video. I heard there was a video where Gibbs walked up to him and Kyle completely ignored him. 
um, you know, didn't really give him the time of day. So, you know, on top of the talks being bad or not going the way they foresee. Um, and then at the end of the day, you know, Gibbs technically beat Kyle in his cup debut. I know there's a technicality to it, but he still did. Um, you know, that doesn't really open the door for Kyle Bush. But the thing that I was more, I guess, intrigued about is during the pre-race interview, Kyle was pretty happy. And yeah. that hasn't been his mood the last couple weeks. And I, I noticed that and I was like, hmm, maybe there's another buyer involved that, you know, he got excited about and that there's it's going to happen. We just don't know what's going on yet. And, you know, it'll be hush-hush until it comes out. But maybe he's giving Gibbs the cold shoulder because he's like, look, I tried to give you a chance. I don't need you anymore. I got something else brewing. And I'm going to go with that. I don't know. But the body language said a lot. You know, I one of the things that I think – because I still think I'm, I'd be very surprised – to see that to see him leave Gibbs, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him be moved out of the eighteen. You know, e- even if even if Ty Gibbs doesn't come up for another year, I wouldn't be surprised to see Kyle get moved. Like, let's say Truex retires or gets moved on at the end of next year, Kyle gets moved to the nineteen, and. Ty Gibbs to the 18. I could absolutely see that. That would not surprise me one bit. And I could see why that would tick Kyle off because this number becomes your identity. And he's had this identity now for what, 13, 14 seasons. And and you just rip it away to give to your grandkid. I could see why that would be very, very frustrating, especially when, when he's unproven. I I just don't, I don't see Kyle staying at Gibbs. No, um, I could I could see this being very fractured, and it's just yeah. the 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 moving pieces to it is a, it's a whole lot to digest. Yeah, I think if it was going to get done, it would have already got done. Yeah, um, I think if Kyle really wanted to be there, even though he's you know saying pay me the money I'm owed, I think if they said look, this is the reality of it, and he really wanted to be there, I think he would have taken that you know, somewhat of a pay cut to get there Um, made incentives with, with Gibbs to make it, you know, so many top five finishes, so many top tens, blah, blah, blah. I think he would have done something like that, but the holdout to me tells me a lot different. Um, And there's, you know, obviously there's been, you know, attempts to try and get him to sign and he's turned him down. So I feel like there's another player involved and my personal feeling, I know, I kind of told you before, but I feel like it's college racing. I feel like they want a veteran. I know they have, you know, AJ Allmendinger, but I think they want a veteran of Kyle Bush's status. And I mean, I heard Gene Haas was there at Pocono and he hasn't been around the NASCAR scene for a while. So, you know, maybe it's coming your way, but I still think colleague's going to be where he ends up going because I think, if I'm not mistaken, aren't they getting motors or something from Hendrick? Uh, or are they RCR? They're RCR aligned. 
But right. RCR and RCR and Hendrick, I believe, I mean, RCR, yeah, RCR and Hendrick have this like engine alliance too. It's like, like Chevy kind of has their deal going on between right. them too. So, and, right. yeah. So, but, but colleague is actually on the RCR campus. Right. Which I mean, would make it really nice to work there for me because it would cut my drive in half. But, you know, I do really like where I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> the, the drive would be nice. That's all I'm saying. Right. But, I mean, colleague, I think, is uh, me right now. I think that's the top landing spot for him unless Stuart Haas jumps in and, you know, funds the 10 car either with Smithfield or something. Or even if they don't, we've seen Gene Haas do it before. Um, and maybe they don't, you know, have a sponsor for a season and they put him in the 10 car and. Well, I mean, but yeah. you can, you can move sponsorship around if, you know, right. Smithfield would hang around, um, or, or, you know, let's you, you could in theory, I, like Kevin would stay where he's at. I would think you could, uh, you could assume that Cole's going to stay at the 41, but who's to say, Hey, we Smithfield, we really like. Um, Chase, so we move Chase over to the ten, and then you know Kyle would could go to the fourteen and and take the Mahindra and and the High Point and all that stuff. You know, it's, I don't think they're going to change. I don't think they would change Briscoe's number. I think they just change the sponsor on the car. It like I don't I don't see them pulling them out it of the really, fourteen. It really depends on how invested like. And, and maybe they're not, but like if Smithfield's invested in, in maintaining their ten car identity or or something like that, you know that that would be how how that would play out. But it really depends. And I, honestly, the fourteen team is more Tony's side, so I don't think that that would happen. But you know, th- there's things you could do to play around if that was the case, or if they go to Colleg and you know maybe he ends up in the thirty one, Justin Haley ends up in in. A, a different number, whatever number colleague would pick. So, um, like I hear what you're saying. I'm just <laughs> the the pool for for Kyle outside of Gibbs just seems extremely small and beneath his talent level. So it's very hard for me to to say this makes sense. You know, that's that's no, why I, I have a hard time seeing him leaving there. I, I do get what you're saying, but like I said. The body language he had this weekend told me something different. Told me he had something either in the works or he had something going on. And it's, it's about to get announced. Is I think it's to that point. I think whatever he has going on is about to be announced. Well, I'm guessing his body language wasn't quite as exciting after the race when they, uh, they found out. Um, so the, Denny Hamlin wins the race. And Kyle Busch gets second place. Both get disqualified. I was kind of hoping that they would also tech the 19 because I could have really used those points to to not <laughs> to not go against Kevin after that. Um, I was very discouraged by this because had this uh, had this played out without Kevin getting wrecked, this there's a good chance that Kevin gets awarded the win, not uh, Chase Elliott. And that would have been our ticket punch to the playoffs. Unfortunately, uh, Denny, Denny, quote unquote, did not wreck Chastain, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Um, sure. But when when they say that, uh, when I saw the announcement that 
it was not seen in the pre-race tech until the wrap was pulled off after the race. I kind of, and I know you listen to stacking pennies. I went, Mm, that doesn't sound right because I've never heard of a wrap being pulled off at the racetrack. I was that, that kind of was like red flags for me. Someone ratted, someone knew what was going on and somebody went to NASCAR and said, Hey, you need to check this because for them to, to, to intentionally pull the wrap off to check something, they, they, they knew about it ahead of time. There's no way that they would have pulled the wrap off and been like, Oh, Hey, Hey, what is this you guys got? No, no, no. They knew what was they were going to find. They asked them to pull it off. They found it. Um, and so uh, just giving you an example, it was common to blame um, Paul Wolf when he was Brad Keselowski's crew chief. They were the ones that everyone kind of pointed at when someone seemingly ratted out to NASCAR. Hey, you need to, you need to look at the Stuart Haas cars. They're cutting up the spoilers and moving – them over so they fit the templates but they hang off the right side a little bit more that that was one thing that we all kind of went oh those daglon penske guys um right so um with that being said somebody ratted him out somebody figured out what gibbs was doing and uh, and called him out on it um but what was your take on i think it's it's good that they're really seeming to crack down on the rules um michael mcdowell was handed a big penalty, hundred point penalty, huge, huge penalty, especially for that team. Um, I think there was another penalty pre. Fine. There was another penalty pre Pocono. It was GMS. They, GM GMS. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So Eric Jones the 43, and, yeah, and the, the forty three and the forty two. Yep. So it seems like NASCAR is really starting to crack down. What are your thoughts on them taking the win away? from Denny and taking second away from Kyle. Well, I feel like it's a, I don't want to say this to sound bad, but I feel like it's finally the right thing was done. You caught the winner and the second place car with, you know, uh, I don't want to say a deformity in their car because it wasn't really a deformity, but you caught them with something that they weren't supposed to have there. And, whether or not that caused them to be the first two finishers, it might have played a, a hand into it. And based off the black and white rule NASCAR has, there can't be any modification to the nose. And that's a modification to the nose. And I think they have to set the standard by saying, look, you know, you won the race, but you have a modification to your nose. And that's a black and white rule. And you're, you're going to be stripped of your win. I, I think, this is going to send, you know, waves through the garage. And it's much like when Brad Kozlowski got his penalty at the beginning of the season, it sent shock waves through the garage because of how big it was. Yep. You know, and it's been 60 years since a win was taken from a driver. Obviously we've never seen it. Normally what they do is they're like, ah, don't do that again. We'll slap you on the wrist. You still get the win, but you don't get awarded the points or whatever. I, I think this is huge. I mean, even if it was Denny's first win, it would have been even bigger. But, I mean, I think they did a, a great thing in setting a, a precedence for the rest of the season. I think the only thing that would have would have really solidified it is if Chase Elliott wasn't the guy who was awarded the win. Because I'm, I'm I mean, sure yeah. that even NASCAR went, because uh, they had to, you had to know, like, everyone's going to be saying, oh, the golden child, of course, he gets gifted the win. But it would, you know, it could have been Ross Chastain, it could have been Kevin Harvick, it could have been 
any of these other guys, but it had to be Chase Elliott. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think it's 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 about time that it's like if, if you're gonna have a rule and you, you're gonna try to hold these guys accountable, you need to actually hold them accountable. If you have an illegal car and you win with it, you you get tossed out. Bottom line. And so I, I think that it's good that NASCAR is finally doing that. Um, I think it's good that it doesn't seem like they really announced to the teams like that they were going to start cracking down because maybe these guys are starting to get this far into this car where they're starting to realize where they can get away with things. And NASCAR went, nope, nope. You guys, we're not going down this path where you guys, you know, hit around the corners of the book. We're going to start cracking down. If this does not fit the spec, this is illegal and we're going to penalize you for it. The The real question I have is, is there any more of a penalty coming out of it? It doesn't um, seem like it. It you're right, it doesn't seem like it, but you know, even though they got DQ'd, does that is that equivalent to Brad Kozlowski making a modification to their car? I don't think so. Um I think that but what it seems like is is front row and RFK like illegally repaired these pieces whereas Gibbs they put a little piece of helicopter tape under the wrap so I think that because of like there's nothing specifically in the rules that says you can't put something on it just says you can't modify it I think it's the way that it's like written in the book they couldn't come out and say well we're going to hit you with a 100 point penalty but I I (laughs) it's really I don't see much of a difference, especially with the way availability is with parts. Like I'm sure that front row didn't necessarily, I've worked for front row. I'm sure that they didn't go out there and try to rebuild something illegally. I'm sure that they probably were like, all right, this, if it was a rocker box, like we can't get these rocker boxes fixed in time. We, this is the last one we have to be able to put on this car. Cause all our other ones are on cars already. We just got to repair this as best we can and send it. And uh, it, it didn't meet NASCAR's criteria because they did it without NASCAR knowing. And it doesn't surprise me because, you know, parts are hard to get and you wreck pieces and then it's hard to get them repaired. So I'm not at all surprised. Uh, I just think that the severity of the penalty, knowing how that team operates, that to me was a little surprising because I I'm pretty sure that they weren't doing anything illegal to get a performance advantage. They were just trying to get to the track. Granted they've had a McDowell has been having a, a career year <laughs> finished sixth. Um, but that even that was kind of, it's, it's kind of weird to me. Like how do you DQ Hamlin and uh, Bush for their problems, but you don't DQ McDowell for that that part like it's it's very it doesn't seem like the penalties are that's that's what i'm you know that's what i'm saying like that that was kind of like my point like how i mean even though you dq'd them you get the 34 that big of a a penalty yeah it's it's severe but it's like they're, they're not it's not that like from a standpoint of severity it's not necessarily like they're you know, on different grounds, but it's like, well, one team just got points and one team got thrown out of the race. I I just don't, it's like, and actually McDowell's is worse because Denny 
you know, Denny and Kyle both lost points, but neither one of them are are in precarious positions. And, and that's you know. that's the kicker right there. They they both got hit with penalties where they were DQ'd, but the kicker is what does the penalty do? Sure, it takes a win away, but that's all it did. It now, we'll say this. If Denny got hit with a 100-point penalty, he would be right – I'm not saying he'd be in trouble with five races to go because I don't – I think he would easily outpoint the guys he'd be around. But he would be like 28th or 29th in points, like right. 20 or 30 above that cut line. And if he had a bad string of races, he could be out just on that. You know, he's 20th in points right now. He's not had a great year. Right. And, I mean, the same goes for Kyle Busch. I mean, think about it. If you hit these guys with the hundred point penalties, these guys that are at the bottom of the top ten for wins right now, mm-hmm. they could easily jump them. And then, you know, if we get seventeen winners, all of a sudden you have Hamlin or Bush that's on the cut line. You know what I mean? So, yep. Uh, How crazy I, I would that be? How crazy would that be that Denny Hamlin would have two wins? Get let's say his penalty was even bigger. They hit him with a hundred and fifty point penalty. 200-point penalty, whatever you want to say, and it knocks him out of the top 30, and now a two-win guy, you know, of the caliber of Denny Hamlin doesn't make the playoffs. Like, that would be absolutely insane. Right. I I mean, I feel like they should – I feel like all the the fines and suspensions should be all similar. They they hit the 34 pretty much with the exact same thing. They hit the six um, earlier in the year, and I I feel like the disqualification – like, and part of me thinks that's why Gibbs didn't fight it. They knew they were wrong. But if they, you know, appealed it, it could have brought get worse off. Yeah, it could get it could get worse off. And I think they were like, okay, well, we'll just we'll lose the win and the points for that day, but it's not gonna affect us for playoffs or anything like that. So I think I think they should have put more of a penalty into it. And I know they took the cars. I didn't hear anything after that, so who knows what happened, but at this point, I don't think they're going to hit them with a penalty or a fine or anything like that. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, now we're going to talk about the uh, the wreck in turn one. Now, Denny Hamlin gets out of the car and says, uh, you know, he, he him and Chastain kind of get together. And, you know, I'll kind of let everyone else be the judge about it. But Denny Hamlin gets out of the car in his interview and he kind of says, well, what did you expect me to do? I didn't really do anything. He just, I just kind of ran it in there with him and uh, Chastain just ran out of room, which, you know, isn't not untrue, but I watched the video again and again and again and again. If you watch it, watch it like this, watch it and understand how I'm saying this. Ross Chastain enters turn one high, higher than Kyle Busch who's behind him. Because he knows Denny Hamlin could be volatile to him. Denny Hamlin hits the bottom and then drifts up the track into lane two. Now, he starts running into Ross's line. Ross is is trying to give him room but is not encroaching on Denny. He's trying to race him but, but not, you know, crowd him. Denny runs up the track. The two make contact. Now... I don't know about you, but I've played video games, which are not extremely realistic, but realistic enough to know that if you make just a little bit of contact, it, sometimes your momentum, the way you're carrying off the corner, it doesn't matter if you lift, which can actually be worse a lot of times. It doesn't matter if you hit the brakes. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You've been touched. 
You were already up at the very high end of the groove. Your car's just going to the wall. There's, there's nothing you can do about it at that point. So I, Denny can say what, what all he wants. He can say he didn't do anything, but to me, Denny Hamlin ran up the track. Ross was there. You made contact with him and there Ross from there, there was nothing he could do. And even if he gets it, you saw what happens when he hit the wall, he got run over. He could have got out of the gas, jumped on the brakes, and maybe he doesn't hit the wall, but he's going to get plowed into from behind. So to me, you know, I understand that Ross had it coming, but you can't tell me that Denny Hamlin didn't have anything to do with that. You can't just tell me that Ross Chastain wrecked himself. I don't want to hear door bumper clear guys. I don't want to hear it. I don't, I'm tired of hearing you just sucking up to Denny Hamlin. It, it, there was enough of contact there that, you know, Ross could have just backed out completely, but that wouldn't have been racing. Denny Hamlin so, did enough to cause Ross to go to the wall. Right. And uh, I agree with you on this 100% because um, let's face it, Denny ran him into the wall. I mean, they you said it yourself. They made contact. He ran him into the wall. He drove up the track, didn't give Ross any room. They made contact before Ross hit the outside wall. Um, sure, Denny put Ross in a situation where, hey, you might have to back out or, you know, this is what's going to happen. But at the same time, Denny's in the same situation. Well, why didn't he back off and give give Ross room? Well, we know what's going on between them. We know that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? So yeah. at the end of the day, if it was, you know, Hamlin cleared him and Ross got into the back of him or something and or didn't lift and ended up hitting the wall because Denny had already cleared him and he was trying not to hit him. That's one thing. They were side by side. There was no Hamlin cleared him. There was no, you know, no one had an edge on each other. Hamlin was side by side with him, slid up, wasn't going to give him any room. And, you know, if they didn't make contact before that, Hamlin would have pushed him straight into the wall. And yep. he was he was doing it as a methodical thing to be like, hey, we were just racing hard, but he put him in the wall, and it's it's plain and simple. And I I find it hard to believe that everybody is believing Hamlin, saying, well, what do you want me to do? We were just racing hard. No, he put him in the wall, and he's going to continue to do this. You know, it makes it look like he didn't do the Noah Gregson and just dump him, so everybody can be like, hey, yeah, he got him. But this is what Hamlin means when he said he's going to get him back when the time is right. He's going to make it look like it was an innocent racing deal. Yeah. And the thing, you know, the thing that people don't haven't said is flip the two cars around. What if Ross is down on the bottom and Hamlin's on the top? Well, everyone's going to say Ross put him in the wall. You know what I mean? Well, I mean that's, that's, what happened, that's what happened in Atlanta. Ross lost the nose, which, I mean, you can say, oh, well, it's Ross and Denny again. But look, how many cars wrecked it? At Atlanta, how many cars just absolutely lost the nose, lost the back end, just hit the wall at Atlanta? Whatever happened right. in Atlanta, I don't, I don't want to hear about it because between the two races at Atlanta, pretty much everybody wrecked or basically everyone had an incident of their own accord at Atlanta this year. Right. So I, I don't want to hear that. Yeah, Gateway, he, he kind of raced like a bonehead. You know, that there was enough incidents this year between them two. I'm not saying Ross didn't deserve it. The thing that ticked me off about it the most is you put Ross in a precarious position in front of the field and right. you wrecked a competitor 
Like you took Ross out, but you took a competitor with him. Like right. you, you waylaid Kevin Harvick, who was doing enough for for the points he needed to gain on uh, Martin Truex Jr. He was doing enough to take care of that race's business, and you waylaid it because you wanted to drive like an idiot and and get part of your revenge, you know. And so now. Ross isn't affected. He's got two wins. He's already in the in the chase, or he's already in the playoffs. You're not really affected because there's not much that can happen to take you out. Kevin, however, you know he's the one who suffered out of all this. This is that's what I don't like about it. Yeah, and Ross still beat Hamlin. And yeah, and then and then you end up going and looking like an idiot because you took care of that, and you ended up getting thrown out and Ross still beat you. So th- this is what I don't like about guys getting, trying to get revenge is people who guys who try to get revenge tend to end up getting another comeuppance. It never works out that you just take care of business on the track and, you know, everyone ends up being square. You end up losing when you try to get revenge. Look at Kevin Harvick last year at uh, Charlotte. He tried to get revenge on, Chase Elliott didn't end up working, and then he heard footsteps behind him and wrecked himself. Right. That, that's how and, it works out the majority of time. Right. And, I mean, obviously we know this whole Denny Ross thing is not – it's not over. Um, it's going to continue to happen. But I just can't believe that there's that many people believe that Hamlin, Hamlin didn't do it intentionally. I, I was 100% on junior side. Um. The, the data shows it. He, he put him in the wall. And yeah, I mean, this, this goes for like sprint car racing. A lot of people say that like that's chopping someone off and, you know, that's like a no, no, you're putting someone in the wall and they don't like it. And it was the same thing with these, na- with that move. He slid up and slid up and slid up and sure. He wasn't going to give him room, but he didn't have room to come up either. He was clearing himself. Well, the, and- only, the only thing that could have made that better is if he would have cleared himself and, you know, been at a quarter panel and he would have just taken himself out. Right. But, but I, you know, th- this winning and then it getting taken away, that ended up being pretty sweet, too. Yeah. Well, and the, and the funny part about it was is he came on his radio and said, hey, tell the four thanks for a great push and that, you know, I, I need that same push <laughs> again. And they were like, uh, you might not want to talk to the four right now. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> you just wrecked. Uh, Chastain and you took the four out at the same time, you know, and and that, that was the other thing. Everybody's been getting on Ross about driving the way he's driving and, you know, taking people out at the front of the field and causing other people to wreck and stuff too. I mean, look what Hamlin just did. He did the same thing, you know? So yeah, if you get revenge, just get revenge, you know, take Ross out, wreck him on your, on your own. Don't bring anybody else into it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Especially my guy, who's who's been kind of one of the better drivers the last six or seven weeks, and and still is outside the playoff hunt. Right. So it's desperation time now for the four car. Um, I wouldn't anticipate him being very good at the Indy Road Course, um, Michigan. I think Michigan or Richmond. You got to get it done there. Watkins Glen is not going to be a place where you can really rely on it. And Daytona, you know, is a crapshoot. So. That's where we're going. That's where we're at. You got two races that you can really hone in on, I think. So Yeah, I mean, you you could hone in on Daytona, but 
I mean, good luck. It's yeah, it's it's a crapshoot. I mean, look at look at who won the 500 this year. Yeah, you, right. you know, you just got to survive. So, um, well, that's gonna that's gonna wrap us up for Pocono. Uh, I do want to just say, Pocono is awesome, still awesome in my book. I really love it, and I think that this weekend just really solidified that and miss going there. Um, but we got to talk about F1 real quick. So we were in France. You mean Ferrari going Ferrari? Ferrari doing Ferrari things, which really this wasn't Ferrari's fault, but um, they did, you know, the problems that they had in Austria with science really, you know, that's where it really started. Science was fast all weekend. He was probably, he might've been better than Leclerc. I think he might've had the fastest car on track, but um, he had to start on the tail because of, you know, the, the new power you guys take to put in yeah. and yeah. So he's had to start on the tail. Leclerc starts on pole, which is not uncommon. You know, he, he seems to be the better qualifier between him and Max. So Leclerc starts on pole. Uh, and it looked like the Red Bull might have been, you know, they might have just been being patient. Um, it was hard to tell if Leclerc was that much faster or if Max was just really being conservative with the tire because that, you know, you heard a lot of guys talking about that. Um, saving tires is the big deal. So it's, it's, it would be nice to know if Max would have been able to compete with Leclerc based on the strategy that they were running. But um, I'm, I'm not sure if Leclerc got antsy after Max made his stop to go on to the hards. Um, but obviously, you know, Leclerc goes into the corner there uh, and spins himself out and puts himself right into the barrier. So I find this interesting because it, this, is, this is just what's happened all year um, between Red Bull and Ferrari. It, they, they have the two fastest, like they're the four fastest cars on the grid. There's not really much of a question about that. However, the amount of times this year that they have finished one, two, three, four is very minimal because one of the four Usually two of the four seem to have some kind of problem every single weekend. It, it almost is like a surefire thing. You're going to see one of these cars have some kind of issue, retire something. And the Mercedes, it's to their benefit because they've just been being smooth and capitalizing off of it. But, yeah, um, you know, Leclerc bounces his way out. Science looking like he was rebounding from starting tail on the grid. Uh, they put him on a poor strategy, tell him to pit while he's passing Sergio. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then eventually do pit him. They they also got a uh, five-second unsafe release penalty from a bad pit stop. It was just a mess with Ferrari. They really – science, had he not had these issues, been able to start – um, off of a qualifying position, I think science goes on and wins that race. I mean, like you said, we don't know the actual super speed of the Red Bulls that were there because Max was hounding him for a little bit, but was he was he pressuring him to try and burn his tires off or what? You know, we we won't really actually know because you know the wreck happened. But I mean, Ferrari went from being in a great situation to having one of the worst laps they could possibly have because the same lap that Leclerc wrecks out is the same lap that uh, science gets the uh, unsafe release. 
gets the five-second penalty, drives all the way up to third, and he was so much faster than Perez. I think he puts five seconds between them if he just stays out. And well, he was on medium tires, so that you know, they were concerned that the tires would degrade by the end of the race and he wouldn't be able to, to maintain pace. So they went uh, ahead and pit so they could get that five seconds taken care of and they can get tires to go on to the end of the race. I think I think Ferrari Ferrari. I think yes. once once he had the five second penalty and he was so much faster on the mediums, I think at worst you take your chance. You try and go for the podium. If he if he slows down and he ends up getting fourth, I mean at worst you were gonna get fifth unless he you know, unless he wrecked. Um, but I think at that point, I think you have to just say, you know what, with the day we've had, we're just gonna try and get a podium out of this. You know, hey, you're in third now. You're you're much faster than him. Try and back off a little bit to save some tire. But there was less than like ten laps to go in the race. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I think they should have just sent it. And you know, I don't know what happened with Leclerc. They did a replay from the lap before to that lap, and he literally had the same entrance through, like into the corner started through the corner and almost the same throttle engage point and the car snapped around on him, which, you know, they very well could. Um, but then apparently when he gets into the tire barriers, his throttle hangs open or, yeah, you know, yeah, something like that. With the throttle. And that goes back to the race from the previous week where he was saying the throttle was sticking there. So do you still think he was kind of making that up or no? I, I mean, I, I, he might have been – it could be a combination of both. He could have been panicking because Max was on a different strategy, um, and maybe he was having some issues. Maybe he was feeling something, and it was causing him you know, mentally to just think about it too much. There's a whole number of things you could think about with this situation, but the bottom line is you know, he, he ended up putting himself in the barrier. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even if it's a problem with the throttle, I don't see how that because you're not you shouldn't be on throttle. Then I, I don't think the problem was the throttle hanging. It sounded like the, the he couldn't get back on the throttle is what I thought. Or I think the problem in Hungary though, uh, in Austria, was he couldn't retrieve the throttle. Like he had to pull it back. Right. So I'm not really sure. But it's, at that point, if you're that far into the corner where he was. If you're having a hanging throttle, I think you're kind of going straight off. You're not getting into the corner as far as he did. So right. it's it's really hard to say. It almost looked like he jumped on the throttle and spun it out. But um, you know, like I said, it's just really hard to, to tell. Yeah. But uh, and to me, the the what the way I'm looking at it right now, to be honest with you, um, if I'm looking at the performance this year. You know, clearly Leclerc is is still what they consider their number one driver, but to me, Science puts together better races with the equipment he has, which I don't think is you know they say it's equal. I don't think it's quite as equal as they say. I think Leclerc has a little bit better equipment, but Science puts together consistently better races. Usually, he had a bad stretch there. He ended up in the gravel a couple times, but even like in in Austria, I thought he had a car that, you know, who's passing Max for second. I thought he had a car he could go and challenge Leclerc with. 
to to win yeah. that race. I think he had right. the car that that he could have won the race with uh, at in France if they would have had the starting position and and had the better strategy. Uh, you know, it, he was very very close to winning in Canada. You're, you're looking at right now is if things play out correctly, Science could have as many or more wins as Leclerc at this stage in the in the year with fewer mistakes. So right. if you're if you know, and last year he outpointed Leclerc. Don't forget about that. So if I'm Ferrari, if this continues, I'm almost looking at next year as Science being my number one guy because Leclerc just makes too many mistakes. Bottom line. Yeah. And so at, what this is for now. What this has done, what all these uh, reliability issues, these self-inflicted errors, all these things are doing is if you look at the points right now, Max, I think if I looked at it correctly, he has like a 63 point lead. Max could literally take off for two races and still have at the minimum, but barring fastest laps, like a 13 point lead. <laughs> right. He just doesn't have to show up. I think if I calculated it right with the amount of races left, he could finish second to Leclerc again, not accounting for fastest laps because that gets real murky, but he could finish second to Leclerc all the way until Abu Dhabi, I believe, before he could be in trouble. It would come down to to the final race of the year again if he finished second every single race to the end of the year, not accounting for fastest laps. And, you know, th- that's a big ask considering Leclerc has, I mean, I think Ferraris might have the advantage right now over Red Bull slightly, but they seem to lose it real quick when they get the advantage. So yeah. I, 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 I think the battle right now, the battle's not for the, the world championship. It, the battle's for the, um, the manufacturer title. Yeah. For third, the constructors title, and it's well. Ferrari can still catch, you know. If Perez keeps having his string of bad luck, um, or poor performance, um, it's possible Ferrari could catch them. But (laughs) Mercedes is is not out of this by any means. Yeah, I think uh, George Russell is like five or seven points. He's very close to Perez. Um. I think science is actually behind them both because he's had a bunch of issues. If I remember correctly, like, and Hamilton has, has kind of hit a stride and like, he's not fast. He's not winning speed, but he just lets these guys in front of him take take themselves out, have their issues. And he keeps hitting podiums every week because the other teams take themselves out of contention. Well, and that's, that's what I was going to say. You know, he's, He's not actually beating them. He's letting them beat themselves, and he's just there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they definitely beat Perez last weekend, but you know, Ferrari beat themselves, and Max was just in another zip code. That was yeah. And Mercedes might end up (laughs) with the P two and constructors this year just by being consistent, right? And I mean, like you said with Perez, I don't know what he was doing on that restart. Um, it looked like he was trying to time it right. Like, you know, Russell was playing head games with him, but man, he gave that spot up way yeah, too he easy. Failed. He failed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he gave that spot up way, 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 way too easy. Um, and then he just dropped like a brick. Um, so he just wasn't there. Hopefully he gets it back together, but you know, again, 
if Leclerc doesn't have his issues and Perez is running normal, Mercedes isn't even in the top four. Um, yeah. I mean, Hamilton was faster, and it, and everybody's like, oh, look, he's hanging with Max, but I think Max wasn't pushing. Max, Max was 10 seconds clear and just kind of out for a cruise because there was no competition for him. Right. So, But um, this week, uh, so actually so far in practice, this week, uh, the Mercedes has not been good. The Ferrari has been very good. So, um, this this track, very uh, windy, twisty, turny in Hungary, Budapest, Hungary, the Hungara wing. So, this is kind of a race that, based on the races we've seen so far, who does well where, this should fit well into Ferrari's wheelhouse. Um, but we just have to see how, uh, y- you know, Again, remember that this race last year, we went off into turn one and Botas cleared out both Red Bulls and a bunch of other cars. Esteban Ocon got the win because everybody came into pit and Lewis Hamilton stayed out all by his onesie and, you know, restarted the race as the only car on track. And then because they made a bad pit call, um, they were only able to get back up to third. And I think it, it was Seb who finished second to Ocon as Ocon's first and only so far win in Formula One. So it was a very crazy race last year. So you just don't know, you know, heck, the uh, the McLarens were fast. You could see Lando Norris get his first win or Danny Reck uh, maybe get a farewell win. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, and then we got Monza coming up, which for the last several years has just been absolutely chaos. <laughs> right. So, well, they take their summer break after this weekend. Yeah, two weeks off. I w- that would be kind of nice to have, to be honest with right. you. <laughs> so um, now we, we are an hour and a half in. We got to get to Racer picks to finish this up. We're going to Indy this weekend, the Brickyard. A lot of controversy around the Brickyard because of going to the road course. I think the road course is is fun, um, but I don't think this is going to be anywhere like it was last year. N- not anywhere near as chaotic. Um, it's no more with no more turtles. No more turtles, which uh, caused a lot of the issues. So, with that being, I think it's going to be a good but less entertaining race than it was last year. There is conversation about bringing the oval back in 2024 and potentially um, alternating every year, which format we drive on. Um, And maybe hopefully that, you know, keeps it more interesting. I think a lot of people have devalued the Brickyard over the last several years, just because it's for NASCAR. It really, it, it means a lot to the guys who win, but everyone else, it kind of, it's kind of just another race to be honest. It doesn't mean anything until you win it basically. Right. So last weekend in Pocono, Jordan picked Bowman. Uh, Jordan picked um, Byron. Byron, the other B one. Jordan picked Byron. I picked Bowman, and I just needed one more disqualification to push myself up into the top ten. I would finish eleventh. Uh, Jordan was twelfth, right behind me. And yeah, he you know he can say he almost got me, but he didn't. So but I got the win. Those, hey, if it wasn't for those cautions, I was in the top five. Well, it was for the cautions, so you weren't. <laughs> so, um, with that being said, I won last week, so you get first pick. All right. Well, I've been, again, on and off the fence about this. Not really sure what I was going to do, but I think uh, 
I really want to pick him, but I think I'm going to go with Ryan Blaney. Um, I think I'm going to go with the old old Blaney. Um, I was going to pick Briscoe. I just don't know if they're going to be fast there or not, but I, yeah, I'm going to pick Blaney. God, I hope I hope that Briscoe can get it done because uh, you know, I felt like last year he got really screwed. I felt like Denny Hamlin, you know, Denny is very critical of Ross Chastain, but you know, last year Denny absolutely shoved Briscoe off that track, right. and I don't know what you you just wanted Briscoe to give up. I don't know what you wanted him to do, and then basically you cost Briscoe his race. So I don't, yeah, I don't care that he spun Denny out. I don't care if it, it sounded like he didn't know that he was penalized, but you know, whatever, man. T- to me, I thought I thought Denny deserved it after he absolutely shoved Chase off the track twice. So, you know, and again, door bumper clear, guys. You can keep sucking up to Denny Hamlin if you want, but I'm just calling you out on it. You keep sucking up, then Denny can do no wrong. I, you know, kind of, I kind of get why you do that. But, you know, Chase, in that case, uh, you know, I've talked to the guys that were on the team. So, you ain't right about him knowing that he was DQ'd and – or was black flagged and then wrecking Denny anyway. You know, so you're wrong about that. You're wrong about the fact that Denny was wrong about wrecking him off the track anyway. So, uh, but I really hope Chase can get it done. But – by principle, I don't pick our drivers anymore because it always turns out horribly. Uh, I'm going to go back to Coda, and I'm going to pick a guy who I picked at Coda who I think I'm, – I'm taking a safe bet here. He got it done last year. I don't think they have the cars to get it done this year. Um, but I feel like he will have a top 10 car, and that's what I'm hitting on right now because I had a lot of bad weeks in a row. I'm going to go with AJ. To, to just get a nice, safe top 10 and see if we can survive. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see who prevails this week. Maybe uh, maybe one of us can be involved in a stage point this week. I just, I just want you – I've been wanting to pick – I've been wanting to pick Michael McDowell for like three or four weeks in a row. I, d- I did pick him the one week and almost won. But, you know, that was another almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades deal. I wanted to pick Michael McDowell, but – I just feel like if I pick him, it's going to jinx him too. So I just, I kind of want to let him roll on. So, all right, guys. Well, I'm going to finish up so I can go finish my vacation. I'm going to bed because it's late, but we will catch you guys next week. Um, hopefully, next week we can do a recording before Jordan goes on vacation. We can do a breakdown on Shark Week and we'll catch you then. Yep. We'll catch you later, guys. Later. Bye. Later.